1: So welcome back to the Sussex countryside. It's been so long <laughs> I can't
2: remember. Oh there's your mother in her is She's in her pyjamas. <laughs> she is.
1: It's in lunch lunchtime. Shall we wave or will she be embarrassed that she's been caught <laughs> out in her pyjamas? She won't be That's what I love about my mum. She's got to that age in life where you can wear exactly what you want all day long. Now, I'm gonna go home and put my pyjamas on as <laughs> <It's> soon as <laughs> i leave here. Anyway I want to introduce you to some new members of the family. What? Yes.
2: No, uh, what What's about going? F and Jeff, the
1: guinea pigs? Yeah, is it not F them? But I wanted to introduce some new mothers Look at these kids. girls. What girls? Look at this. Oh my God! It's a sheep. <laughs> it's loads of sheep.
2: <gasps> oh hello, she- oh hello, Mr Magpie. How's <laughs> your wife and kids? Saluting. You have to do that in the country, you know one for sorrow two for joy That's, oh my god I mean, they're standing up they're coming towards know, they're us they're going to ca- come and say hello i'm not wearing wellies or anything
1: <gasps>
2: hello sheep they've got horns sophie they've got one horns what them got
1: horns There's <laughs> an
2: electric she's making me this poo
1: yes welcome to the countryside you're such a god i'm not in these shoes <laughs> Hello, look at you he's Come and say deep. hello Have he's you washed them especially me? for me these these are your, not- he's your colour isn't he yes. lovely creamy white so this is our paddock. This is about four acres, and we started off mowing it with our little ride on, and it took Tom best part of a Sunday afternoon. So we came up with the genius. These are our lawnmowers. Are you not even going to make cheese? Bit of halloumi, isn't that sheep's cheese? No, all these sheep uh, were orphans that were Aww. rescued and we've offered free pasture for
2: them. Do we walk out backwards? Is it like the royal family? You don't want to turn your back on them in case
1: they headbutt you. (laughs) Come on then, I'll take you indoors. Bye ladies. Hello, and welcome to The Great Indoors
2: the podcast which reveals everything you ever needed to know about interiors and explains how to make it all really work for you in your home. I'm Sophie Robinson. And I'm Kate Watson-Smythe. And thank you all for so many nice messages about the last episode. It is great to be back. And we're back indoors after the sheep. <laughs> safely back No one will ever believe in there the were sheep indoors. the silent sheep. <laughs> we are safely back in in the great indoors, my happy place.
1: And did and you wipe your feet before you came back in? Would it? Oh,
2: um,
1: you know, been trudging around my field. I'm just uh, checking.
2: I wiped them on the grass. <laughs> you,
1: should you not have a nice
2: bit of framed typography over the front door?
0: <laughs> Keep calm, carry on, and wipe your feet.
2: <laughs> See, sadly lacking. There's no instructions. This country stuff doesn't come with any instructions. <laughs> so I've been having a bit of a nose around. Not too much has changed. Unusual for you. The uh, gold beetle is still in the downstairs oh, loo, I see. That hasn't gone. Thanks for that. <laughs> but as well as that, today's topics include Honey, I Shrunk the House. The reasons behind my slightly current frayed nerves as I moved house last week the new paint colours, oh there's a treat in store for you there, and Design Crimes is back. And this week we are talking Kitchen Islands. Mm. Yay or nay?
1: Controversial. Apparently, who knew? <laughs> <laughs> but hang on, just before we get stuck into all of that, we must share an update on the Battle of the Bowl. So, last episode we explained that the Great Indoors Podcast Facebook group was on fire with passionate argument about the rights and wrongs of the humble washing up bowl is there any point to them are they indeed a design crime well clearly mentioning it on the show just fan the flames and the debate is still raging on listener emily coles is upset not just about the bowl but how it's being used Mm. there are layers to this debate clearly she says washing up bowls oh my goodness I have only ever seen this done in the UK and as someone who grew up in different countries it still really baffles me. What I don't understand is why you would wash your dirty plates in a bowl of water that gradually just gets dirtier and dirtier as you wash. By the time you get to the last pieces you're washing your plates in murky grey dirty water with bits of food floating around in it. Here she puts a little um Sort of vom like emoji. Vom emoji. Instead of using a bowl, I lather up all my dirty items in the sink and then rinse them off under the clean water. But Kathy Taylor says, no, the
2: mistake is that Emily Coles is not washing up in the right order. She says, if anyone was taught home economics at school, that will date them, then they will have been taught how to wash up in a bowl. Glasses first. Then cutlery, rinsed under cold water first, if particularly mucky. Then the cleanest plates and bowls, working up to the dirtiest. Then use this water to rinse out the dirty pans and refill to wash those. Rinse items under cold water if needed before leaving to air dry. This will save both gas, heating the hot water constantly, and water, washing up liquid. Something I think we all need at the moment. And listeners Jane Flame Taylor and Ray Ray agree. And there's also a theory about where the washing up bowl love affair began, which was posted by Tina Swindles, who says, I think it originated from when the sink was a dry sink with no taps or drain. Carry the bowl in from outside, clean, and then tip the dirty bowl back outside. That makes sense to me. (laughs) Now there's a logic to it. I think we can get on
1: board. (laughs) Or maybe not. And last episode, you said your granny used the bowl to tip the washing up water on her roses. And lots of you out there feel the same. Sue Fox even points out that eco-washing up liquid is good for controlling aphids. And Christopher Barrett is cheering you on, Sue. He says, really encouraged to read so many people in replies who use grey water for their plants. Absolute stars. Round of applause emoji. My husband is from Singapore and doesn't use the bowl, just runs so much water down the sink if he washes up. Now, read the whole issue of the water being dirty. The same is true for having a bath. I don't have a bath for this reason. Oh, well, let's find out. You're putting your oily, sweaty, grimy body... Oh, speak for yourself, Christopher. (laughs) Uh, ...into a bath full of water. The clever science is that the soap detergent used breaks down the grime and keeps most of it away from your clean body... And also your clean crockery. Now, there's a thought, doing your crockery and your body in the bath at the same time. (laughs) I don't think he's suggesting that. But that's
2: interesting, that science, isn't it? Because Mm. that, if you remember right back to the beginning of lockdown, when we had to wash our hands in soap, and soap was key because soap broke down the coronavirus Mm. virus. Mm. So that's why washing your hands in soap was good. So, yeah, well, maybe that works. But Fanny from Finland has another solution. Fanny Johansson Stockford. In Finland, most kitchens have two sinks next to each other. You have water and washing up liquid in one and you wash the dishes in that and then the other has clean water and you put the clean ones in there to rinse before you put them in the drying cupboard. A drying cupboard? We need to know more about the the drying cupboard, Fanny. When I lived in Britain, she said, I found it uncomfortable that people didn't rinse dishes. They just dried them with the soap suds still on them.
1: Oh, the plot thickens. And Sarah Bibby says, why stop at two sinks? Seriously, how big is Sarah (laughs) Bibby's house here? (laughs) She says, I would love a triple sink. (laughs) One for rinsing the majority of the grease off. Next, full of soapy water. Then the third to rinse the suds off. Not going to happen, most likely, but I'd love that setup. She and then says.
2: a drying cupboard, whatever yeah, that well, is, on the end of that. Rebecca Catterall reminds us that a washing up bowl can work hard. She keeps hers sparkling clean and uses it. Um, I'm not sure I'm going for this. For soaking feet in a home pedicure. <laughs> I'm not sure about that if you're washing your glasses in it. <laughs> for making up wallpaper paste. Yes, done that. Not a weekly effect. Mm-hmm. Well, I. Perhaps it is. An emergency bucket when a radiator leaks or needs draining. OK, I'm on board with that. For hand-washing clothes. And there's another one. Is there another one? I've got to turn the page of my script. There's so many.
1: Oh, yes. No, and my other one is whenever there's a case of the uh, upset tummies in the house. There's oh, always a washing on. up bowl by moving the bed. On. <laughs> and finally, Wendy Shaw sees it as an opportunity for a bit of design joy, she says. I've got a bright yellow bowl in my Belfast sink. Looks cheery. Oh, oh, I hear you, Wendy. I will tell you something. Having, since we recorded
2: this original debate, Mm. moved house. Bought
1: yourself a washing up. Well,
2: I've moved house, and it has a lovely white ceramic Mm. sink in it, which I really like. The mad husband hates it. Why? Well, for two reasons, actually. One, he says he's constantly worried it's going to look rubbish and stain and he feels he's got to clean it all the time. And two, he's terrified of washing something up in it and it'll slip out of his hands and it'll smash. We may have to get a washing up (laughs) bowl.
1: I rest my case.
2: Well, there we go. Anyhow, if after all that, you still want to fight about washing up bowls, then please head on over to the Great Indoors podcast
1: group on Facebook and get stuck in. And I've actually written a blog post on this very... point with my roundup of the 10 most fashionable washing up bowls so there you go Kate I'll forward the link on to you oh yes okay (laughs) you can chat about other stuff on our Facebook group page of course you can and we'd love to hear from you on Instagram too where I'm Sophie Robinson Interiors and she's mad about the house not even a week since the big house. Move. <laughs> How are you feeling? I
2: think I might have a little cry. <laughs> You're on the verge, aren't you? I'm on tell. the verge, woman on the verge of a nervous oh. breakdown. Do you know what? It's clearly, it's fine. You know, we, we have been lucky enough to buy a new house and, you know, we're moving in. I think what I'd forgotten, we lived in our last house for 12 years, uh, which for many people isn't that long, but actually for both me and my husband, that's the longest we've ever lived anywhere in our entire lives. You know, both our mothers moved houses a lot. You know, those 12 years in that last house for me... Was a lifetime. Was a lifetime. Mm. And I think we underestimated the, the sort of, emotional it's not as I said to you in the last podcast I'm not necessarily emotional about oh this is the house where my child you Mm. know was born on the carpet I mean they weren't but it's not so much that because I think you take the memories with you but it's just the upheaval and it's really difficult to plan for that and even you know intellectually you tell yourself well I'm moving house and so I will you know everybody says how did you sleep and you have that weird thing in a hotel of like well I didn't sleep it wasn't my own bed you Mm. know definitely reach that stage how did you sleep in the new house? Well, I don't know. It was my bed, but it wasn't my bedroom. <laughs> that's weird. Um, and I think I had underestimated just that moment. And then it's been kind of full on of unpacking and trying to, you know,
1: how does the heating work? Do the radiators yeah. work? Nothing's familiar, is it? Nothing's and familiar. I and, and that's tiring. How stressful yeah. being in a, not only an unfamiliar place, but your life packed away in boxes yeah. i mean i've you've shared the pictures on instagram of literally yeah. mountains i had thought that we were not people who
2: gathered lots of clutter Ooh. but we are both by trade journalists we have boxes of newspaper of archives
1: oh really a news what yeah. clippings yeah clippings
2: from what? stories i wrote 20 years ago in you local do i not. do have all those well those have gone in storage
1: but it was all the books. It's interesting, isn't it? The the concept of when you are downsizing, trying to visualize how, well, like you said in the headline, honey, I shrunk the house. I mean, yeah. literally the space is shrinking down, you know, no matter whether you're going from a house to a smaller house or down to a smaller flat or whatever. It's this concept that you're going to have too much stuff and what do you let go of and I think the lesson here is you've probably spent quite a lot of money moving stuff that you're actually going to end up having to get rid of be that books or pieces of furniture and in an ideal world one would have got rid of it at the beginning of the process and just took what you needed but trying to visualize what that is like you say how many shoes can I fit in the shoe rack how many dresses can hang in the wardrobe how many books well and also it's
2: it's all that memories I mean I totally understand why downsizing when you're much older becomes so difficult not because you need all that stuff Mm. but because it that stuff is all attached to your life and your memories and I think there's a fear as you get older that if you don't have that visual reminder in front of you you might forget it so you so you want to see it but what I think has been interesting for us is our initial plan was that we were going to downsize in a few years time to to maybe a two or three bedroom flat. Right. And we've been really... Do you think
1: you might downsize again? Well, I,
2: I obviously we're at the never going to do that again moment. Right. But, but we might. A, I think we might be better prepared for it. But also because we ended up doing this move sooner than we planned, we are in a smaller house than we were, but we still have bedrooms for the boys. So that I think has been really lucky for us. It's allowed us to have an interim period because I'm looking at all these boxes and I said to my husband, you know, imagine if we had gone straight to a two-bedroom flat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we we would have nothing left. So we're settling into that and there will be, I think, what will happen is... The stuff will go into storage and either it will move. As I said to you, the dream is to be able to buy a place in Italy. Either mm. it will go there or gradually it will be that thing where you haven't looked at it for so long and you yes. realise you don't need it. So yes. there's that kind of halfway house. Clearly you've got to, to pay be. for that halfway house because storage yes. is not cheap. Well,
1: it's, it's but, a lot of money keeping hold of those memories. You yes, get there get to, you go. It gets go. pricey. I mean, we went through a really similar process with my mum when my family sold the family house, which was a sort of five bedroom house in Warwickshire. And she ultimately moved to the annex, which is, as you know, two bedrooms. Just, just called her yeah. in her pajamas. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> two bedrooms and open plan as well. Yeah. That's the other thing. If you're moving from a house with lots of walls to an open plan space, it's like double the trouble. And we employed a professional decluttering expert to come in and help her move through this process because she was so stuck with the emotion of it. And she did this brilliant thing where she would create three piles yeah. definitely going, definitely keeping, need to Not think sure. about it. Yeah. And mum said what was so extraordinary and slightly traumatic at the beginning is if mum said, No, I don't want that. She said, Literally, it would disappear, go, and it was in the van. It was just out the house. And yeah. she remembered going, Oh my God, that's gone. And then she said something happened that it started becoming quite thrilling. Yes. <laughs> and she started feeling lighter and more energised so I think for anybody who is struggling to get rid of stuff and it's very tangled up with emotion and memory and sentimentality is you can have people to come in and I think it's it's worth you
2: need someone objective because otherwise you just down that rabbit hole of memories and then you think you can't ever get rid of it years ago we had our first two bedroom flat and we discovered when we were moving that I had somehow got my history O-level banda sheets which for anyone who's younger than I am, won't even know what a band sheet is. And it was way before the days of photocopying and you would write the notes by hand with carbon paper yes. and then print them and it was purple ink in handwriting. Wow. And I had all my history you O-level band sheets. Well, they I don't consciously remember keeping them, but wow. I clearly, That's... they had come with me. Yeah. And my husband was like, you know, really? I think, you know, we need, to, we've got a child, we're married, we've grown up, we need to move on. But you get so down that rabbit hole and feel that your life won't be the same if you get rid of it I think so. the thing
1: is is looking at them I kept all my sketchbooks from art college mm. of everything that I'd ever designed with a view that one day i It'll be lo- worth some money <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> well I thought maybe one day I'll go back to having a creative hobby be it jewelry design or furniture design or ceramics that's what I used to do at uni and I could go back through these sketchbooks and be sparked with inspiration but actually they went we did a big chuck out a couple of years ago because they'd all just gone down the stables and I looked at these and I thought this is like over 20 years since I graduated and I have never looked at these sketchbooks but it still ripped my heart out to let them go it just the the one thing
2: I think I have learned and it's the charity shops in our area are overrun with stuff, but they have been able to be more discerning about what they want. So then it's about finding a charity or, mm. you know, I think or um, on Instagram, lovely Emily Wheeler want, runs Furnishing Futures, which is about women in mostly women in furniture poverty who are being rehoused and they are rehoused, which is wonderful, but then they end up in a house with no furniture. So it's you know, it's finding the right place to give the stuff. And if the shortcut is paying a professional to come in and go, I know what you can do with that, yeah. that, that, and that, that's worth it. Well, because there's then you plenty don't feel of of outlets. For. Free yeah.
1: cycle, Facebook marketplaces, loads of places. Yeah. And I think it's a circular economy. So here's my next thought for people who are downsizing, is quite often you will find that the furniture you're taking from your larger property is not the right size or scale yeah. for your new property. And this is something as well that I think people need to get real with. If that sofa's too big in your living room, your living room's just gonna feel packed and tight and yeah. choked up. Coffee tables classic, two bigger coffee tables. So I think again, you know, it might pain you that your sofa's lovely and per, you know you spent lots of money on it, etc. etc. But there will be somebody who will pay you good money yeah. for that sofa. It's in good condition, and you could consider buying a secondhand one instead. But don't compromise. I mean when we moved to this house we weren't downsizing we were upsizing actually but I had already inherited quite a bit of my granny's furniture and actually there were just some pieces most of it actually just didn't fit the room's layout so I had to get really ruthless and it was a really interesting conversation within the family because this is my granny on my dad's side my dad was like yeah get rid of it he's not very sentimental at all whereas his brother was like oh I'll have it and my bro- and my uncle my dear dear uncle literally has a garage full of all my granny's furniture because he can't, can't, can't let it go, get rid of but it. he can't get it in
0: yeah. his
1: house either <laughs> so be be a bit more like my yeah. dad I think in this scenario and make sure your home works for you and isn't just a museum for the pieces of furniture yeah that you know you've always had and then I think the other thing to think about which is I know you're already on the road with this but I think it is really hard. It can feel very negative. It can feel quite depressing when you're going from a large space to a small space, is to keep the inspiration alive. And this is where I think planning your new color schemes, mm. having a vision, you know, jump on that Pinterest board, have that box of samples, start playing with your layouts, You know, do measure drawings of your room so you can work out what's gonna work is in a way something that keeps the dream alive a bit when it all gets a bit gloomy and you're surrounded by boxes and you're just having to get rid of stuff you love.
2: But also I think it can be about, you know, embrace changing style. I mean, obviously mm. I don't know what your mother's house was like before. Very um, traditional. Very traditional. And she now lives in a modern annex. Her mm. furniture is quite mid-century. She did have this bright yellow sofa I'm yes. now sitting on, them and she's changed it. But there's, it, it can be a moment to go, you know what, I'm just going to have a bit of a, a change, change of feel.
1: loved that. It was like new home, new life. Yeah. You know, yeah. and being in an open-plan space with big windows rather than an old creaky, draughty mm. house, she's now like triple glazed to her heart's content. Yeah. So, so hence walking around in her pajamas <laughs> to her <job> in the <laughs> afternoon, yeah. she doesn't even need to get dressed anymore. <laughs> Bring it on! <laughs> so clearly,
2: I'm still, as you say, on the road, maybe on the runway. Haven't quite taken <laughs> off. If we're going to really, really landed, hammer the hammer this analogy <laughs> to death. Um, mixing metaphors. I'm on the beginning of this journey of downsizing, so it's not breaking news. I've done it. There will be more to come. This story's going to
1: run You're and not run out the other side. Yet, yeah, are, are you? Not. I'm not. So, Kate, woohoo! New paint colour. Sorry, I just thought I needed to wake you up. Sorry, yes, I'm here. <laughs> right, go, go, go! Back in the room. Back in the room. Back in the room. This time of year. All the paint companies are bringing out their new colours for 2023. And we get a little bit of a handle on the trends. Well, uh, but also,
2: it is a bit of an event because Mm. you and I both went to the launch of the new Farrow and Ball collection. Yes, that was a hoot. 11 colours. Yes. But they only ever release new colours once every three years. And the pandemic threw them out. So this is the first time they've done new colours since 2018. And they've done 11 new colours. And
1: Paint and Paper Library, 32 new colours. I mean, that's a whole collection in itself. Yes. And then, of course, we always have the Dulux colour of the year. Yep. So what are we seeing? I think if we can give our listeners a broad brush, like they did there. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) She can't help herself. As we roll out the new... uh, the new paint colors what we're seeing in terms of what what does this because what I love about the new paint colors is usually this is an insight into what brands think are going on inside our minds yeah it's very gets very psychological doesn't it oh we feel like you need a bit of this so this is the color to have on the down well there was outrage
2: that. wasn't there when I can't remember whether it was Dulux
1: or Pantone
2: did their colors in the can't remember the name of the color no, but, but it was brown kind of brown yes and everybody was like we're in a pandemic just that give was us 2020 wasn't it but they yeah they were talking about it being the mood it was 2020 and Mm. bear in mind that the Dulux colour of the year that
1: they've just announced now is actually 2023 and it's quite brown again yes so headlines is nature gives life to Dulux's colour of the year 2023 and it is called wild wonder connecting us with the magic of nature bringing a sense of energy and positivity into your home that is a big Big claim from a colour, which is kind of like, let's just describe the colour. It's kind of like straw, straw, hay, hay, pale hay. The straw's quite yellow, hay's got a tinge of the green, do you think? It's a pale beige yellow and weirdly, given my,
2: my, you know, famous for my love of yellow I don't hate that yellow but I'm not sure it's the energetic feelings of wonder that they're talking about I think it's more of a sort of restful here's the
1: color color. a hue inspired by the warm tones of a harvested crop with the upbeat glow which connects us with the cycles of life creating a sense of energy and positivity I agree with you I'm not getting energy no because it's very very subdued I'm not getting much of a glow either. No, at these aren't words that I put with it. I think it's quite a nice, soft, relaxing colour. I think so too. I mean, I really, I mean, I don't hate it. And we quite often do and feel we, that we don't we quite like that you know, colour. Well, this is the this is the shut the front door moment. I don't think I hate it either. Oh steady. I know. Oh, oh well, listen, Marianne Schillingford, the creative director of Dulux, she says, "Wild wonder speaks to us in a language we instinctively understand." There you go. Just okay. leave that with you. Uh, Nature is what inspires us and makes us feel better in our lives and in our home. That's why, for the first time in 20 years, our entire colour palette, because of course the palette goes with this colour, is inspired by the rhythms of the natural world. And you know what? I'm kind of here for it.
2: Last (laughs) year, was it Tranquil Dawn? Yeah. I mean, that was all about the natural world, you know,
1: (laughs) inspired by
2: nature. I'm not sure it ever isn't.
1: Yeah, no, and I also think when people are feeling stressed, I mean, that's an... uh, Okay, tearful, (laughs) on the verge of an effort's breakdown. Yeah. I mean, it couldn't get more hairy out there right now. I mean, politically, financially, there is nothing certain. No. It's all just a big whirligig. And I think this is when colour forecasters look to nature and the softer colours tend to be less threatening, more reassuring. Anything to do with nature makes us feel grounded and safe. And that is why (laughs) I quite like it. I need a bit of... Well, I need a you bit see, of dry grass but, but in I my think life. You need
2: a bit of dry grass.
1: Something <laughs> like
0: a bit of dry grass <laughs> to make you feel
2: better. That's a different but, type of grass. But the, But this is a whole thing. I mean, this is your whole life upending because mm. you said I think almost last time we were in this room which could be years ago by now but mm. you you were like oh I'm rethinking my maximalism I want it to be mm. all karma. hasn't happened has it it hasn't happened but you you have thought about it you've talked about I it have so these colors it, coming it, it is
1: never gonna happen because if I was to strip out all this color and paint it wild wonder I'll be nice and calm and relaxed for all of half an hour before I was like... Drained and worried. Drained and worried, yeah. So I think think you have to know yourself. Yeah. I think that's really... With all these trends, you have to know yourself because they're only going to speak to the few people it resonates with. But I think as a wider message, I get where Dulux is coming from. And the whole of their palette have names like Spun Mohair... Violet Dream, actually, I don't know whether that's a good that's a good name for a paint think, colour. I don't think we want Violet Dream <laughs> don't want Violet all. Dream anywhere no. near any... Violet yeah. Dreams, no, no. <laughs> uh, hazy Morning, Fresh Foliage, yes. Sea Holly, this is more like it, Silver yes. Lichen. Old Time Olive, oh, yes. we love a bit of Old Time Olive. Mouse Tail. Yes, they've come over a bit far on board. Yeah, they? so, you know, I've, and I'm wondering whether we're seeing this across all the paint colour trends, these richer, chalkier nature-inspired. They're very, very earthy. I
2: mean, that struck me with the the Pharaoh and Ball and that idea that we all know this, how we live in our homes, has changed since the pandemic. And some of their colours, they are linking them to and... To an eddy being, you know, a swirl of water when Mm. everybody's gone wild swimming. I'm not going wild swimming. (laughs) (laughs) Looking at a sheep is about my limit. Waving at the sheep. But you've done a a bit of wild bathing in your outdoor bathtub. Um, But again, those are, Farron Bull always does natural colours. But actually they have got some bold ones. There's one in there called Bamboozle, Mm, which is a kind of strong orange orange terracotta. So they're not shying away. These are not non-colours. It's not all sort of pale and washed out. There's some strong colours in there, but they're...
1: I don't even know if this makes sense. They're, they're muted rich. strong. They're rich, aren't yeah, they? they've got they're tonally warm yes. to them. And Farron Ball typically... Do do a lot of this type yeah. of palette. I mean, anyone who studied colour psychology will with me will know this is what we call the autumnal palette: rich reds yeah. and ambers and conquer browns and moss greens, and they have an inherent warmth and intensity and richness to them. And that's what Farren and Ball are really doing with this, with a lot of these colours. So of my question is, and mm. we'll
2: come on in more detail to Paint and Paper Library, who've launched 32 colours. And that, I mean, I just swooned with joy when I saw them again. It's more of this, and you're using those words, it's conquer, it's moss, it's Mm. foliage. I'm in beautiful berry colours. And I thought to myself, cue Sex and the City voiceover, I thought, (laughs) could they all launch these colours in summer? Or would we look at them and go, oh, no, it's not the right time Mm. of year. I wonder, because they've launched these autumnal colours in
1: autumn, I don't know whether... That's a coincidence whether there's a link. I think it's a coincidence because clearly paint colours and choosing colours for your home isn't something you do at a certain time of yeah. year. And I would say that we're not really influenced. You know, if you're decorating in autumn, are you going to pick an autumn colour? Probably not. What I think is interesting is what these colours really represent psychologically. And they are, I mean, to go back to the Dulux press release, there are these colours of nature. Mm. They ground us. And they have an intensity to them as well. Even the paler neutrals, they still got an intensity of pigment that just is heavier than your fresher, more chromatic pastels or the sort of electric brights that I like that are quite zingy and uppy these what? are like weight you down they're like a weighted throw aren't they you know those throws with all the well, glass apparently beads they're in. amazing I must I get know. one I, yeah. I was looking on Amazon as well the other day yeah. because I heard that they're really good they're supposed to like reduce anxiety they're like having a hug well these colors are like the weighted blanket of paint colors Yes, I, think. I think you might be right. I mean
2: it's 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 difficult because those are that that is my color palette. Mm. So for me so happy it's days. just more of the same. Very happy. Got a lot of walls to paint now. <laughs> I'm thinking this is great. So for me it's not new. It's just more of the same and it's familiarity and I love it. I'm thinking you might be looking at that and going, oh, where do I go? You know, yeah. where do the people who come from, in to to use your phraseology, you know, that cleaner, spring, More fresher, mm. well, you could call it upbeat. I find the autumnal colours quite upbeat, but yes, mm. where where are they going to go? Kume Islands what have they done? (laughs) So we are used to, just a bit of background, there are two main colour of the year events I would say every year in the UK. One is Dulux and the other one is Pantone. Which we haven't had yet. We haven't had Pantone, I think it comes out in November Mm. but of course it may be late, who even knows anymore. Now Pantone always make a thing that theirs is not a colour necessarily for decorating, it is a colour that is a mood. So they had last year, I think that the old very perry, didn't they? What a violent violet. And before that, they did that very pale grey with that zingy very neon yellow, orange, which yellow. I couldn't bear. And that again, upset a lot of people because mm. people look at that in the way they look at Dulux and think, oh, I can't paint my walls that colour. That's kind of not the point of it. It's the mood. So with that in mind, those are the two big colour of the year events and Various other paint companies have now started to do either a launch of new colours or a colour of the year. Into the fray comes Myland, very old, traditional, I think paint the last maker. paint yep. company in London still manufactures in London. I think Little Green is manufactured in Manchester. Into they come... Fair and, Ball their, in Fair and Ball in Dorset. and Ball in Dorset. Mylands, whose paints are, again, very much, they have a huge range, but their palette is quite muted. And they have colours like... Roth Street and yes. Downing Street and Pall Mall and St. James's. So you can see where we're going with this tradition. Out they come with their colour of the year. And it's, it's Barbiecore, bright neon pink. Yes. And I actually was so shocked when I saw this that I, I emailed them. I emailed them <laughs> and I said, I said, dear Mr. Milans, are you having a laugh? I <laughs> I did sort of say, have you done this? To get attention because, you know. And it's a breaking the mold from what everybody else is doing. Absolutely gone in the opposite direction from what everyone else is doing. And again. So it's a very punchy
1: neon lipstick. Yeah, pink. I mean, I
2: can't see, for me, I can't
1: see and that it's I would glorious put it on my walls. because Mylands as well make, you know, really good quality high pigmented paint. It's going to be a really sexy pink. I think it's know. great downstairs, it's, Lou. it's, I'm it's not bigger, bigger than
2: Barbie. And I got a message back from Dominic Myland himself. Oh, right. oh yes. <laughs> didn't mess about straight to the top it got escalated, Dominic, escalated, escalated what escalated. have you done and he said to me can't argue with this it's an unfailingly cheerful and bold pink proving not only to be incredibly popular but also more enduring than just another trend or fad mm. i'm not sure about that it is un- it is upbeat it is cheerful it yes. is popular. I don't know whether that's feeding it's a into classic, Barbie.
1: though. It's you know is you think it? of Diana Vreeland, that hot pink oh, lipstick. That hot pink! Yeah. I mean, yeah, it isn't. I don't think it's a trend. I think it's a real core classic that hot pink you what you can't get your head around is where to use it you've immediately gone to the downstairs Lucas. that's the tidiest <laughs> I think
2: you're right and he, he finishes off and said you know although it's the color of the moment it's a stylish shade you won't mm. get tired of anytime soon I think if it's a color you love absolutely it's part oh, of I mean, your
1: lexicon it's part of your palette I've already redecorated my hallway in it I mean, can you imagine how it is Well, it's not dissimilar
2: from your stair runner.
1: That's right. It? But I think it, it's a, it is a strong, saturated, arresting statement, positive. Ourself this is the go two pink. fingers yep. to everything else and saying, well, I'm keeping the happiness and the glam and the fabulousness going in my own home. And I think, yeah, a hallway with like crisp white woodwork would look amazing. No, I'm going to disagree with you there. I think clearly you want a hallway that's kind of navy
2: blue, darker color than the pink, navy blue. Chocolate brown, or even a paler <laughs> pink—anything, not white. I banned the white skirting boards. When are you going to get the hang of this? I banned
1: them like three series, four series ago. Still not listening. Yeah, la la <laughs> la, 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 la 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 la. Um, no, white's fine if you put it with something like that. I think it would look—I think it would look awesome. It would look great in a bathroom, in a dressing room, kitchen. Have a bright. Oh yes, come on, <sighs> kitchen. I feel a bit, I think I might cry. I
2: love it. I feel a bit tired again. (laughs) But I tell you what, it does go to show because we always come back to this and we always, you know, should bear this in mind. The thing about trends is if this new colours of the year proves anything, it's that there isn't a trend and you don't have to because you might be like me, very comfortable Mm. in your muted autumnal palette or you might be looking at that neon Barbie pink and planning a
1: redecoration of your hall or your kitchen. So, ultimately find the colors you love be true to yourself that's the message and that's actually being i mean that joe stud home at the farrow and ball press event where they launched these colors that was her headline is our homes have never meant more to us yeah we've really learned that haven't we in the last couple of years the color you roll out on your walls deeply affects how you feel about life your psychology so there is a color for everybody just get the one that makes you happy If you want to create your own bold, brave and beautiful interior, then the good news is that I'm currently running a sale over on my online interior design school. That's right, I'm offering a massive 30% off the course that teaches you everything you need to know about creating your own joyful, uplifting and wonderful interior. This is how I decorate, it's bold on colour, it's bold on pattern, it's about filling your home with the things you love and how I make it look classy rather than cluttered. So I've already offered the lovely discount on the website until the end of October. Simply go to courses.sophierobinson.co.uk and start your design journey today.
0: This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe, Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott, or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda, whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at sax.com. Now, on with the pod. Our next topic is design crimes and i
2: always worry a bit about these because you know i don't like to offend anybody and it is really subjective you know one woman's design crime is another woman's design classic so this segment is always going to be divisive controversial and basically a bit judgy
1: but maybe (laughs) that's why you all love it so much oh my god well this is why we're bringing it back when i put on the great indoors podcast facebook group what would you like us to talk about Everybody was clamouring for bringing design crimes back. But here's a disclaimer. Please don't take it too seriously. It's just a bit of fun. Um, It's ultimately every week, either you let us know what your design crimes are, write into us, let us know what they are, or we will stumble across one as we have done For this episode.
2: Well, you say that. I've just moved into a house. There's
1: about five in every room. I literally (laughs) woke up the other morning going, one, two, three, four. Oh, yes. So this week's design crime is Care of a Piece in the Daily Mail written by the esteemed Michelle Agunderhin. And it really caught my eye. It made me even taking a sharp intake of breath. Because... (gasps) Sound effects for Basically, she's saying that the kitchen island is a design crime. I mean,
2: I... I saw,
1: them. <laughs> you know, obviously, listeners, we do prepare this
2: show in a bit in advance. And Sophie sent me this email and I was like, what? I, I mean, I was speechless. How can a kitchen island be a whole design well, crime?
1: Well, shall I read you out the intro to the I piece? Think she was quite cross. This is what Michelle wrote in her piece. So the kitchen island has finally been knocked off its perch as a domestic status symbol.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm utterly thrilled, she says. I've always loathed them. Why? Because they're epitome of style over substance, routinely inefficient and potentially dangerous. So there you what? go. She's How is a kitchen strong. island dangerous? <laughs> she says oversized oasis stranded in the middle of a kitchen, often surrounded by a couple of bottom crunching back crippling bar stools, <laughs> yeah. aka adult high chairs, with the obligatory integrated bookshelf or wine rack and housing a sink or hob. They are... A sort of too high kitchen prep table that you can't stretch your legs out beneath, often costing tens of thousands of pounds, they become considered the height of kitchen sophistication somewhere at the beginning of the noughties. And she goes on to rip them apart. I think her biggest bugbear that I'm getting is she feels that it is an excuse for people to hoard loads of kitchen gadgets, clutter, plastic knickknackery, and we'd be better off with a good old fashioned kitchen table. Well,
2: (laughs) I mean, I had a kitchen island until a week ago. I now no longer have one. There is no space for one. There will be no kitchen island in my new house. But I guess maybe when we moved in, I did dream of one. Maybe I did think it was a status symbol. Maybe I did really want it. But it came to be actually incredibly useful for extra storage And it meant that we had the hob in it. And I found that that traditional triangle, which works for some people and not for others, did kind of work for me as well as having extra storage. I will agree with her. I came to feel that my kitchen island was a very solid slab in the middle of the room. It felt a bit like a a tanker had landed in the (laughs) middle of the room. And, And over the years... I came to fantasise about the idea of having a kitchen island on legs, or I think they now have a name. Is it something like a dairy table? What you're seeing now, which I would love, but this will be the new status symbol. Somebody will take issue with this in a few mm. years. It It is a prep table, but it has very wide drawers so that you can get lots of storage in it. However... You, still, you can still see the floor below. You can so still it's see... Not so it makes so visually your room look bigger. But... We didn't have the luxury in our old kitchen. Weirdly, you can call a kitchen island a luxury. That took a hell of a lot of storage for mm. us.
1: And without that, we didn't have room to to keep everything else. I agree with you because, for example, I think of kitchens that I've designed over the years and the ones that have had islands have absolutely needed an island I mean take my mum's annex here which is modern and open plan it's open plan kitchen living dining room it's yeah, got it no walls up. yeah and her island has her hob in it the oven is actually on an adjacent wall and then the sink is so that sort of like creates a triangle but underneath that hob is all her drawers for everything else and if she did if she just had a table there There would be no cutlery drawer, there would be no pan drawer, there would be no plate drawer, there'd be nothing. So, I think maybe the trend for open plan spaces has brought with it the necessity mm. of a kitchen island because you can't put units up against the wall. Yeah. They're not there. You don't have so walls. It yeah. into an island. I think it's really interesting, though, the concept of it being a status symbol. I remember years ago when I was a judge on the Great Interior Design Challenge, it's really interesting what people's perception of you is. And I showed a picture of my kitchen, which doesn't have a kitchen island. It doesn't have space for a kitchen island. It has a kitchen table. And someone messaged me going, Gosh, I'm so surprised that that's your kitchen. I really imagine that you'd have a large kitchen island oh wow! and I thought isn't that interesting because they saw me as a tv judge pinnacle so it is design sophistication how did I not have a kitchen island I remember feeling quite wounded like oh my god I've really let people down by not having the kitchen
2: (laughs) island I mean there was certainly and I know over the years you know I've talked to people and everybody's dream is to have a kitchen big enough firstly to eat in and then to have an island so it has got kind of wound up in that Mm. status symbol and I do think they can get too big and you know you can't necessarily sit at them what I did notice was ours was we had an extension at the back of the old house where we had the table And yet everybody congregated around that island to the point where I ended up contacting a company to see if they would make me a massive chopping board that I could put over the hob when it wasn't being used so that it would look nicer for when we were standing around the island (laughs) entertaining. (laughs) Obviously, you know, reality comes in and I didn't do that. But that was the point where people congregated, even though we had a table. So... I'm not sure I'm putting it in the design crime box. I see both sides. I'm an (laughs) Aquarian. I think there are definitely some kitchen islands which are design crimes Due to the nature of their design, but Ooh, as a get to that, what the, makes, kitchen what makes the kitchen island is not a problem. Island Do you know this- I can't bear I can't bear curved <gasps> ones. <gasps> Ooh, I can't bear curves, curves. in a kitchen. No, Ooh, I can't. What not, is No that?
1: lozenges. No lozenges. No, 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 no curvy, curvy shapes. I like
2: rectangles and clean lines. Oh.
1: I mean, kind of building on your idea, but I know this isn't your aesthetic. But when it all gets a bit belt out, pogan pole. And it all gets a bit minimal and really hard edge. And literally, if you Mm. came in and put your shopping down and your school bag down, you ruined the entire look of this monolith that's in the middle of the room. So I don't like... That island combo where it's just overly minimal and overly sleek and you can't even literally leave your mug of tea on the side because I mean, you ruin the whole effect. You ruin the look.
2: And I see Michelle's point, you know, you do flip through certain websites and magazines and they all look the same. So she's absolutely right. They've all got the wine rack. They've all got the space for the recipe books at the end. You know, there is a certain type of of kitchen island where they all start to look the same. And I think actually the joy of a kitchen island, if it's right for you and that's what you want, then... Design it so it suits your your lifestyle. So some people might have a space for the dog bed at the end of them mm. or some people might have a collection yeah, of lovely modify vases. Them,
1: modify it so it doesn't just look like every other kitchen just island off block. the peg. And I think if you are a minimalist, you've got to have a kitchen island, haven't you? Because, you know, where are you going to put all that stuff? I mean, you can't have everything on show. You're going to have to have your Tupperware hidden away in a drawer. You've got to hide that Tupperware if you're a minimalist. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goody design crimes. I'm so glad they're back. They're such <laughs> a lot of fun. So, uh, if you've got any that you'd like to throw into the hat, you can drop us an email at thegreatindoorspod at gmail.com. And of course, while you're online, why not check out our blogs? <laughs> I'm Sophie Robinson.co.uk and she's madaboutthehouse.com. And excitingly, because we are a new series going out weekly. Yep, we've opened up a bit of YouTube action. So if you want to not only listen to this podcast, but if you want to watch see it. Us, watch <laughs> it, and it's uncut version a bit of quite technicolour behind the scenes then uh, check out our uncut version on YouTube links in the show notes and of course over on our blogs etc etc and just to keep you busy we'd also
2: love it if you could manage to
1: leave us a little review
2: in the podcast app it will steady my nerves while I unpack the boxes <laughs> now Next time, we will be chatting to one of the most flamboyant and recognisable designers in the country, so don't miss it. But for now, thanks to our producers, Kate Taylor and Sarah Cudden of Feast Collective. And thanks so much to all of you for listening.
1: And we'll see you in the great indoors.
0: Bye. Hello. (laughs) Hello. (coughs) Uh un c